is Chai Across Generations. I'm Nikhil. And I'm Shankar. This is episode 9. Communication. Let's not talk about it. This is the first part of our series on communication, which we feel is a natural progression after the last few episodes where we talked about mental health. In today's episode, we're going to explore what communication is and why communication within the family across generations is so important and why it seems to be almost impossible at times, which was why we had the snarky subtitle, Let's Not Talk About It. So we're going to jump into the discussion and then come back at the end for some takeaways and banter. Let's dive into it. We're talking about intergenerational communication today and in this next kind of uh, arc of our discussion, Shankar. And as we've learned in past discussions, it is helpful to start with, what is it? What are we here to actually talk about? So I would love to ask you, what is intergenerational communication in your mind? Yeah, thanks, Nikhil. So I approached this topic with the idea of um, asking the question, how can we encourage authentic communication and civil conversation between generations? And I'm thinking here of uh, any person looking at the previous generation, so their parents primarily, but of course there are other elders, but I think we're probably going to focus on parents a lot, right? And then within their own generation, thinking probably the most important relation like a partner and then the next generation uh, being the children right Um, so one aspect of our conversation I hope will shed some light on our perspectives on how we'd encourage those kinds of authentic communication and perhaps even look at uh, situations where um, there may be channels of communication that are getting closed off or are closed off and can we open them up? And um, is it worth it? And when is it worth it? And those kinds of questions. Right. I agree with you. I think you hit it beautifully on the head with this is about communicating with generations or the generation above you and below you and, and maybe two above you if you're a child and you have grandparents. But I think we'll primarily focus on the generations immediately next to ours. One thing I wanted to add is this communication... And this might be different from when you were growing up, Shankar. There are so many different mediums now. It's not just face-to-face or phone, which in itself was an innovation at the time. It is now text. It is now video chat. It is now social media. Uh, And there's almost one conversation you have with someone, but it might trickle into all of these different mediums. Um, So that's something I just want to acknowledge as well, is that there's a lot of different ways in which we can communicate with the same person. Right. That's actually a a great point. I had not uh, given that enough attention, but now that you bring it up, uh, absolutely right. Yes. Thanks for bringing it up. Right. I think, I I do think though that, you know, in person and phone Mm -hmm. is probably the the dominant form or let's say phone or video call, which probably became more popular as we went through COVID. Um, You mentioned wanting to think about civil conversation, right? And just respectful conversation. Um, how do you think about that as we dive into the, this topic? Thanks. So I actually wanted to broaden the frame a little bit more and and come to the very question of uh, why communicate at all? Right. Yeah. Right. And that might seem like a silly question or a kind of devil's advocate question, but I think you understand. Uh, I'm trying to... S- uh, place the motivation first, right? And and mm-hmm. we may all have different viewpoints on it. I just thought I'd share mine. 
and um, I sometimes think that um, we are shards of a mirror that is broken. This is the image, the metaphor that came to me when I started thinking about this topic. So imagine there is this mirror of consciousness or awareness and it's shattered and a little piece is lodged in each of us. And in some sense, I think it's just human that we want to reconnect those pieces mm. and form a whole. And if you if you look back in so many spiritual traditions that you know we are aware of, it's sometimes you know we're all waves of the ocean. So it's like somehow there is the one, and we are little pieces of it carrying within us, and through this communication, trying to actually reach and connect with those pieces of our original complete self and the reason another reason why this question came up is when we look at the great sages we call them munis right in in india munis a person who takes on mon mon is silence and they are the exact antithesis of this they don't communicate right mm. so why do they not communicate and that's what it strikes me that their way of reaching the one is turning inward and for the rest of us, we're always turning outward and through words, trying to communicate and reach the one in some way. <laughs> so I thought that mm. was an interesting frame. At least for me, that's how I make sense of it. Because you brought up a very good point um, in one of our earlier conversations that um, s there is this sort of uh, impelling desire to reconnect, even in circumstances where there is so much history that to the logical, rational brain, you would probably not want to go there. And I find this particularly with family. But mm -hmm. there is still a drive to go and reach back. And the only reason I can rationalize that is this sort of very fundamental principle that must be at work, which, um, which drives us to communicate. So I, I think there is an intrinsic drive among humans to communicate, to connect, and to connect very deeply sometimes. It's almost uh, um, a, a beautiful desire in that sense. But uh, sometimes it's always a little out of reach. It's like a, a reed or a, or a beautiful something that's just out of reach. And for me, in a spiritual sense, uh, that out of reachness happens repeatedly to make us turn inward and reaffirm this unity. I, I don't know if that makes sense. Right. right. It, it does make sense. I, I agree with you around the need to connect, mm -hmm. the desire to connect. One thing I was thinking about, and I'd love your perspective on this because you've lived longer than me, you, on a previous discussion, had talked about the rapid and increasing pace of change. Mm -hmm. Right. And now our social fabric is changing. Mm -hmm. And I find communicating is helpful to make sense of and process a lot of these changes. Right. You could also argue that with social media and just the, the the rate at which news moves these days, maybe we're just more attuned to these things and they're actually changing faster. Mm -hmm. um, but to make sense of the news and say what's going on in certain spheres of the world you know, you, you want to be able to have those communication channels, or I'll speak for myself, I want to have those communication channels to make sense of them with family, with friends, yeah. with peers. Um, 
I'm curious if you have felt any more or less of that in the last, call it, couple decades versus earlier in your life. Like, you know, just to maybe test the hypothesis that has the rate of change increase also increased the importance and role of communication? Hmm. That's a really interesting angle. And to be honest, I hadn't thought of it that way. But I'll share with you something else that's coming up. We'll see if they actually mesh back together. (laughs) I've really learned the importance of stories. I I Mm. never thought of this before, but all of our life, uh, the, the story is so important in our human experience. And, you know, in ancient societies, the storyteller was the most important person. And so, you know, always a minstrel or, and our mothers tell us stories. That's how we learn so much about our family and our legacy and all that stuff. So I I completely agree with you that um, we have an intrinsic desire to learn and make sense of our reality through stories. But I think the new angle that you're bringing, which I had not thought about, is that we are constantly updating those stories and mm-hmm. bouncing them back off with our families. And I think that's a very nice, fresh perspective. It's not a static story, but it's one that's evolving as we go forward. Right. Yeah, I think you're right about that. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned family. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think a lot of the communication, the intergenerational communication happens with parents, with kids, mm-hmm. with our partners. Um when we think about, I think what's going to happen in this discussion is I will probably speak from a child to a parent perspective, and you can speak to both, I guess, from you know child to parent and parent to child, because you've been in both roles in right. your life. Um, but one thing that came to mind for me when I thought about communicating with parents is that it can be really challenging because we have this long emotional bond throughout our lives, and, and that is a good thing, um, and we rely on them, right? We we had to rely on them early in life, and we I still rely on my parents to this day. Um, we care about our parents' approval, right. and we certainly did growing up. We had to, right, to, for survival. They were there to take care of us. So um, I think sometimes it's easy to underestimate this fact. Yeah. Sometimes there's a sense of, oh, I shouldn't be as disturbed or as right. perturbed if my parents react a certain way. Yeah. Um, but I think it's kind of ingrained in us, yeah. right, because we needed them growing up and we, we have this emotional attachment. So I do just want to acknowledge that communicating, especially with family in different in a different generation, feels more uh, personal or intense. Mm-hmm. And the observation I had when I was thinking about this, um, praise feels better and criticism feels worse mm-hmm. coming from your parents than from you know other people in their generation. Mm-hmm. And I think it's exactly because of this emotional bond and connection. Right. That is so wise, so profound, and so insightful. Amazing. Uh, amazingly perceptive, Nikhil. I completely agree with you. I don't think that the me who, uh, at your age, would have articulated this so wisely. So <laughs> I'm really impressed. Uh, well, I have the benefit of, of working with someone like you constantly, Shankar, who, uh, and getting to think about these ideas. So that's cool. uh, I think maybe you would have gotten there too oh. if, uh, if, you had, if you were doing a podcast 25 years ago. <laughs> that's, that's true. <laughs> who knows? Who knows? But that's a very good point. The emotional charge is so huge, right? And I just wanted to set the stage a little bit as we go into more conversations and, and, and talk about 
maybe personal stories and things like that, that I want to be very uh, clear to our listeners that um, we are not trying to blame anyone when we bring up a story or when we talk about a certain interaction. And I want to be very clear about that. The biggest thing I've learned, and it took me a long time to learn this, Nikhil, I should share with you, is that when something goes wrong, it took me a long time to understand it's not the person, it's Mm. not the relationship, but it's the interaction that is not going well. Mm. And until I was able to intellectually separate these three, I used to conflate them. And then it's very easy to take a bad interaction and stick it on that the person is bad or the relationship is bad. And I'm somewhat maybe ashamed to admit that it took me a very long time to separate those three. And it has helped me um, a lot, uh, at least in an intellectual sense. It's not that I don't viscerally and emotionally react to many things, but at least in my saner and more calmer moments, I can, uh, this gives me a model to separate the three. And I, I want to bring that up front because when we talk about any interaction, whether it's my generation or your generation or the previous generation, when we say something is not quite working out, I would like everyone to keep in mind that we're saying the interaction is not working out. And mm. that's a co-created interaction. It's not a blame on one generation or the other generation or the relationship in any sense. So right. I just that's a, that is a very profound point, Shankar. And I, it's one I'm still internalizing, mm-hmm. to be honest. I don't think I have fully brought that into my own life. Mm-hmm. So so you're saying, if I'm hearing you correctly, uh, if, if we look at you and me, right? right? right. And our, our conversation, there is you, there's me, mm-hmm. and then there's the way we interact, mm-hmm. which is kind of a third entity outside of you and me. Right. Is that right? Right, right. Okay. Exactly. So I think... So if you and I have a rough... Go ahead, sorry. Go ahead. No, you, you, you paraphrase uh, it, then I'll come back. Yeah. Okay, now I was going to say, so if you and I have a tough interaction or a rough interaction, mm-hmm. it sounds like what you're saying is the problem or obstacle, it might just be the the interaction itself and not anything to do with you or I. Exactly. Because let's say you and I have a sequence of terrible interactions over the next mm-hmm. many weeks. Right? Mm-hmm. I could say, well, Nikhil is just not getting it. I mean, the guy is, you know, I could have some <laughs> expletives go off in my head and um, and condemn you, right? But when if I think rationally, there are a lot of people who think you're a wonderful person. Even if my interaction with you is going terribly, or let's say my boss or my spouse or child or whatever, that person, like you talk about this 360-degree rater thing, right? Like there are so many other degrees in which they may be uh, perceived as a very wonderful person. Right, And they may be doing very noble things and very wonderful things, but this particular thing is not going well. Um, So that gave me a little insight. And the second thing is the relationship itself. So, um, you know, whether it is a parent or it's a child or it's a sibling or it's a partner, um, sometimes these emotions can get so bad that I'll be honest with you, I really thought like, gosh, I can't deal with this. You know, this this whole relationship is flawed, <laughs> mm. right? But then that's not true either, because when I look around, there are other people who have wonderful relationships in 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 those same, you know, places. 
right? Mm. And so it's not that um, the relationship is lost. So it's not the person. It's not the relationship. It's just the interaction. So that was a breakthrough mm. for me. So, yeah, yeah. I think what I'm trying to wrap my head around is the interaction still feels like it's a part of us, mm-hmm. right? So if if I if in our discussion if I'm saying something mm-hmm. that is causing a rough interaction and it still feels like it's almost mine, right? Like it's it's a part of me that you or I could point to and be like, hey, that's not working in, in the way we're communicating. I'm trying to wrap my head around of the interaction piece being a third party, right? And not something that you and I have control over because it all comes from you and I at the end of the day. Ah, uh, I see. Let me try to clarify that a little bit. So let's take the example of you say something. Let's say you say a statement X and I react badly to it. My first point mm. is there may be 99 other people who are not bothered by statement X at all. Mm. So I co-create the interaction. Mm. It's my lens that's reacting to you. It's mm-hmm. nothing absolutely right or wrong about what you said. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. Does that make that sense? That makes sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. It's a little bit of the idea that it's like the, it's the fit of the two people or the specific right. like words and pressure points and insecurities all coming together right and and an interaction um i think what resonates with me of what you said is that you could say something to me that i might not take as well but 99 other people it might be fine but you might just hit one of my insecurities specifically right or one of my pressure points right right so there's a there's a transmitter and a receiver and right. somewhere the signals get mismatched and you get this noisy thing, which we call a bad interaction. Right. right. But what do we do in that case then? If, let's say I'm the one out of 100 that doesn't react well to something you say, how do we process that together? Because let's say it's still impacting me. Yeah. Um, to, maybe to me, it, w- it wouldn't matter in that sense, in that moment of like, oh, well, maybe there's 99 other people right. for whom this would not hurt. Right. Um, how do you think about that? Yeah, and I, that's where I think the significance of the point you brought up, which is the emotional charge, mm. right? Um, the emotional charge is very, 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 very strong in the parent-child interaction. Right. And I've not quite figured out exactly why that is. Why is it so deep? But... Um, I'll give you two things that sort of um, seem connected. Uh, and at, at the moment, the connection may seem a little inchoate, but maybe as we talk about it, it might get a little clearer. So the first thing I think of is um, the father and mother are literally like the sun and the moon. They're that important in a child's mm. life. <clears throat> and and that association is very specific. The father with the sun, the mother with the moon. And... In our yoga philosophy that's connected with, you know, the right and left parts of our channels in our body and things like that. But that's that's one piece of it. So I think there is something very deeply connected between our emotional existence, intellectual existence, physical existence and our parents. Mm-hmm. And the other part that I wanted to draw out was um, this comes a little bit from... Um, uh, Plato's the symposium, and it's a Greek myth that's always fascinated me. It ties back to the uh, the mirror and the shards analogy, but the Greeks thought of it slightly differently. 
So apparently Zeus made human beings originally as two people. Do you, do you know this myth? Where there were mm-hmm. two people conjoined at the back. And so they had two heads and, you know, four arms and four legs. And they walked around as dyads, sort of. Mm. And they became very powerful and they were threatening the gods. And as usual in the Greek myths, the gods have to intervene. And so they <laughs> cleaved the, uh, these dyads into, you know, monads or whatever, right? Single <laughs> creatures, which are just who we are. And so the rest of our lives, we're running around trying to find the other part of us, which gives birth to the whole soulmate theory and all that, right? right? Uh, I think in some extension of that, there is some very very deep connection across the generations that is running. And it's not just physical, it's intellectual, it's emotional um, at several levels. And I think it's the emotion stuff that makes this very hard to navigate because I can say all this to you in such a beautiful, rational way, but believe me, if my mother says something or my sister says something, uh, it's going to throw me into a spiral uh, that will take a long time to unravel. Right. And I think uh, that's why this discussion is so important um, because they are very important relationships in our life. And uh, as you said, if they go awry, uh, they can cause us a lot of pain. Um, They occupy our mind a lot. And on the other hand, when they go well, um, they are the most enduring sources of joy in our life too. Mm. Yeah. So from that viewpoint, I think uh, these relationships are very important. And I wanted to bring up a book that I read some time ago, which I really liked, um, which maybe some of our readers might like to. It's by a guy called Michael Gurion. And um, his book is titled Mothers, Sons and Lovers. And it talks about how uh, man's relationship with his mother affects the rest of his life. And I, it, from that, I came away with this idea that there are three primary relationships we have. So a, as a man, um, the three primary female relationships are your mother, um, your partner, if you're, you know, uh, in your generation, and then your daughter. And similarly, the three primary relations for a woman uh, typically are of the other gender would be like father, um, you know, husband, spouse, partner, and then your son. And it's amazing how powerful these relationships are and, and our ability to successfully navigate one to the other, I think actually is the the arc of the evolution of a human being in some sense. So what we take from one, move to the other, uh, and there's a certain... Uh, a detachment involves, you know, the the mother raises the son, the son grows up. If we're able to gently move from that, mature that relationship out, and then independently seek a partner of one's age, engage with that person, have great communication, and then disengage from that, and then be able to give that love to a daughter, and then let that relationship flower, and then at the time comes to depart, then I feel you've kind of spanned that gamut of, you know, all interaction with Mm. the feminine, if you will. And similarly for the... And I think when we have a certain inability to uh, build a good connection, that transition becomes very hard. 
and that's why i think the parental relationship affects the choice of partner and the success with the partner and that communication in very very fundamental ways and of course you know freud has talked about that too and uh, the everything the two most important issues are our relation with the father and the mother and almost anything in psychotherapy that you can trace traces back to one or the other so i think that communication is very important yeah. what do you think wow that was beautiful there's a lot <laughs> there that i'm processing uh, i like the idea of these different big key relationships and maybe the how what you have in one translates to another translates to another and together they form the arc of your life up our first part of this discussion on communication. Hey Nikhil, what's your biggest takeaway from the episode? Shankar, what's going to stay with me from this episode is what you shared around a more sympathetic view of having a tough interaction. The idea that an interaction is different from the relationship itself, is different from the person themselves. And I think that's going to give me a lot more sympathy and empathy when I think about my own communications with people in my life. How about you? What's your biggest takeaway? I really like the point you made about um, the fact that we communicate using different kinds of media. So there could be text messaging, it could be a phone call, it could be a video call, it could be in person, and how the medium of communication actually can have an impact on how well we communicate and how well we understand each other. I think text messages particularly are very prone to being misunderstood because we don't get the tone and inflection and all the other extra information. Uh, which really resonates with me because um i learned recently that in any conversation it's actually the words are only a very small fraction of the total communication and there's so much nonverbal communication so thank you for alerting me to that and I, that will be one of my big takeaways as i think about communication right yeah that's great and um we you talked about different communication channels which is powered by technology Technology has been a big theme in your life this week, Shankar. Do you want to tell our listeners how much you love technology this week? That that was a bad question <laughs> to pose to me this week because as you know I've just been coming off a long battle with GarageBand and my um connectivity to the Mac through the USB etc etc. So both hardware and software drive me nuts. But I think it's a good thing. I've generally been a proponent of it. It's great when it works, and when it doesn't, <laughs> don't ask me about it. Yeah, and to, for our listeners, GarageBand is the program we use to edit and to record our podcast. So Shankar has been working miracles in the background this week uh, to work around some challenges. Thank you, Shankar, for doing that. Um, and we'll be back, technology challenges or not, next week with the next part of our series on communication. Follow us on Instagram at Chai Across Generations or email us with comments, questions, or discussion topics at chaiacrossgenerations at gmail.com. Subscribe to our podcast and please leave us a review on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. See you all next time.